Welcome to the Theology of Plain Men podcast, also known as TPM. I'm Andre. I'm joined with by Cody and Michael. We're all part of the TPM team. Um, and today we're talking about commitment and how there's a perception about millennials, the millennial generation, and how they are perceived to fail to commit to things and have this problem in society with commitment. And we view this to be an issue worth discussing and an issue that has implications um, to the Bible and that are concerned, uh, or implications of the church and that are concerned um, by the Bible. So um, I'd like to just summarize the commitment issue and um, talk about, lay a foundation for our conversation today. I think a big part of it is a, a phrase that we all know about, and that is FOMO. The fear of missing out tends to uh, apprehend some people, and I think it's a big motivator for people's failure to commit to things. If I commit to going to some event two weekends from now and something else comes up, then I'm going to have this this crippling problem with not being there and missing out on something that's better. Um, and so, so how, how about you guys? Like, do you feel like that is, is that just me? Or is that something that we're actually seeing? And how else would you characterize the problem with commitment in today's culture among people in our generation? Yeah. Um, I would say kind of going off that with this FOMO aspect, I would say that probably every generation has had this problem where they're viewed as not non-committal or all these other things you would describe as youthful when people are in their 20s. Like I'm sure our parents' generation said, had the same thing said about them of yeah. by our grandparents. But I think it's exacerbated by media in general and social media, especially in today's generation. It's like this two-way street with FOMO mm. and social media because uh, the media in general, how fast-paced it is, and social media especially, uh, you can always be scrolling or streaming something and when you finish, you're like, I can still keep going. I can look at the next thing. There's no need to stop the options I've already been exposed to or chosen to see. I can keep going. And there's always something more out there. And you even see that with some of our dating apps now. It's like, whether you even want to call it dating, it's like, I can swipe a person. And if I'm content with one, I can swipe on to the next. Out, yeah. yeah. Uh, and social media, it's always scrolling, going from one image on Instagram to the next. And, you know, Facebook, you can link all of these together since they're all very uh, intertwined. I think what you're just seeing is this entertainment and information and choice overload. And so in ways that are unique to our generation, we have so many options that it's even harder for youthful people to commit to things that are important. And it's easier to not commit. You know, you get that invite on Facebook to an event, and it's completely in your control. Nobody knows that you saw it. You can say yes or no, and you can hide behind the lack of a response until, you know, minutes before it starts. And there's not much of a consequence for that. Yeah, and I agree with all, all that as well. And I think the, the <laughs> we're all millennials here, too, and we're young guys. I think, um, I don't know about you guys, but within millennials, there's a huge fear of making the right decision as well. Yeah. It's a scary thing to commit and feel like I've got 10 things I could do tonight. 
mm-hmm. what's the right one yeah. and we get stuck in this decision making question and then we get, make a decision and go to that place and then while we're at that place we're always thinking about what if we were at the two three four other events we could have been at that night so all those things that information overload the decision making quality we're pretty dumb and can't make that well as uh as well so i think all that plays into this idea of commitment um is is a lot of different fears um through that so and you see this i think the interesting thing is is we are theology of plain men we're looking at uh society and christianity and theology and how those things inter- intertwine and relate and we're all in the working world as well and i think we see commitment not only in uh, the Christian sphere, in, in the in the, but also in the secular sphere throughout culture, we see this at I, I see this at work and um, the commitment to responsibility, uh, the commitment to projects or or action items. You see this at every day at work or in the family too. Um, everywhere is people don't want to commit to things, so it's definitely a, a problem out there and, and one that will will need to be looked at. And, and that's our goal is to look at this through the lens of the gospel. So yeah. Yeah, something that I, I wonder, you know, as so we, you know, we look into these topics before we show up and talk about them. So I, something I learned was that the generation before us, the um, the people that we're looking up to and learning from just implicitly, you know, there's, there's studies that show that baby boomers are retiring on average, having switched jobs about 11 times during their career. And there's also a well-accepted 50%, 50% divorce rate among adults today and so that we you know i think we're seeing lots of examples of of what goes wrong when you make the wrong choice and that's part of i think what motivates the fear of making the wrong choice Mm -hmm. you know i I think our generation was also brought up for people you know on track to go to college the question of where are you going to go to school was just like this huge this huge issue that everybody was so concentrated on and I think that that is, you know, part of the reason and part of the foundation that exists to this problem. So what do you guys think, like, as far as how does this pertain to Christians in the church life? You know, where is commitment hurting, hurting the church and hurting Christians in their walk with, with Jesus? I think, uh, you know, looking at the church is what's funny is that we're all a part of this common cultural experience, and it feels like we're bringing a lot of this to actually how we experience church. And we think of like, you know, when someone goes to a church, two of the biggest and most immediate and visible uh, things are what is being preached and what is being sung corporately. And so you think of worship and you think of the sermons, and now I can just apples to apples compare these things. And I actually don't even need to be present to do that anymore. I could just stream it from my laptop from home. And so what you start to see, and I've even seen this in my own life, is when you look at churches, when you look at ministries within those churches, you're always second-guessing, like, this is good, but is there something better? There's this thing I want to commit to within the church, but is there something that would be a better fit for me or more impactful or more purposeful? Yeah. And there's just so many options that Mm -hmm. it's perhaps even robbing us of the joy of just making a decision to commit to a church right commit to ministries and trusting that something good can come out of maybe a broken decision you know or a decision that you didn't have all the facts for i think when we discount you know the faith that it takes to make decisions about things that you're unsure about that's i mean that's what faith is you know trust in something that you cannot see and so i think that comes into play big time um in what you're talking about. Yeah, and Cody, 
you brought up a really good point there. And I, I kind of want to throw this question by you guys, see what you think. What I see from a lot of people when they're looking at churches and people who stay there is this church met blank need. And the question I see people asking themselves is, is this church meeting my needs, whether they be community, whether they be theology, whether they be good music, whether they be entertainment, whether they be X, Y, Z thing, is this church meeting my needs? Do you guys see that? How do you, how do you see that play out in church decision-making or church choice? Kind of what you're saying. I think even, um, since this past summer, I recently got married and I know that's come up with, uh, my wife, Marin and me is, is talking about things like, you know, we were a part of this church while we were in college and now on the other side of getting married, you know, you're talking through things like, um, what were the ulterior motives for the things we've committed to in college and beyond? And were those good? Were those bad? Can we still commit to things? And then you think of the things like teaching style and, and can I connect with it? And you just see all these little things that come across at every point that you could pick, pick apart and think like, is this meeting my need for how I would like to hear messages and connect with them? Mm -hmm. And is this demographic of people fit what I envisioned for my community or my church? And do they value and make partnerships with other ministries and things that I care about? Yeah, I wonder how much of the things that people look for when they consider a church to commit to are superficial things like the nature of the sermons, the, deliver- the style of the sermons, the style of the music, the people they're seeing around and how many of them are really value-driven items do i concur theologically with what this this church stands for do i am i comfortable getting behind this church's commitment to service and you know and letting some of your deeper values and beliefs about the church's role in the world and your role in the church and how those maybe are the things that we should be thinking about. Yeah, I just <laughs> I just thought of a really good uh, next podcast would be uh, the purpose of church and yeah. the idea of a commuter yeah. church. Is that biblical or not? Mm-hmm. Um, but we can table that discussion for a later time. I remember seeing uh, one time that there was a drive-through church I witnessed once, so that yeah. was that yeah. got me thinking. Yeah, I, but so um, it's that idea. Have you guys ever heard the song? Uh, it, it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me. Yeah, um, I'm not going to try to sing it because then I'll embarrass That's myself for the best and, oh, and hurt all of TPM. Um, but uh, I do like that song a ton, and my dad will always sing it whenever uh, I start talking like that. It's all about me uh, instead of it's all about you, Jesus. And this idea of that mm-hmm. church is all for me. It's a service that I pay for and we can talk about tithing i think a little bit too (laughs) but it's a service that i pay for to get what to get a need met of mine i think that's rooted in in selfishness a lot but uh what do you think yeah there's data about uh, as far as giving you know routine giving there's data you know that says relatively recent to i think 2016 or 2017 that says 45 percent of christian donors are enrolled in monthly giving or Christian service attenders are enrolled in monthly giving. Um, and, and so that's, 
not a ton. You know, that's less than half of the people that are sitting next to us on a Sunday morning. If we, you know, are to take that stat and pull it into Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, uh, it, you know, it really indicates that a lot of people are there in a state of probably not committing. You know, the Bible is quite clear about about mandating giving to the church, and and so I think that's one way that we can quantify commitment. Um, it's it's a, it's a proxy for sure. It's not one to one, obvious, but um, you know, what 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 do you think are other ways that we can quantify commitment to spiritual context to churches we're talking about churches but Mm -hmm. um well that's part of it i want to just uh take an aside to say that you know quantifying is trying to quantify the actions but you can still have people who are totally engaged in strong commitment um to a church for all the wrong reasons and so Mm. there is there's a huge uh pitfall to trying to quantify through actions but when i think of things uh one that stood out to me is like you know, Bible reading being, if, if for Christians, everyone knows the answer is supposed to be God. Jesus is supposed to be the most important person in my life. And I should be hearing from him regularly, you know, because if he is the most important thing, person to you, you would expect to see that reflected in how you spend your time. Well, the average American is watching five hours of TV a day. And among Christians, you know, 45% are reading their Bibles once a week, 40% once or twice a month. Um, and you have a stat of almost like uh, one in five are never reading their Bibles. Is that from the uh, Christianity Today article? Is that the, we, can, um, we can put up links to these articles later. We're yeah, that's sources. Yeah. yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, that was the Christianity Today epidemic of Bible illiteracy. And, and to be fair, the 45% is saying like, these are people who read their Bibles at least once a week. So that's also including everyone who is maybe reading it daily or more often than that. Um, but the other one, so it's saying that, you know, we have over half of Christians who are maybe reading their Bibles once a month at best. And, you know, once a month compared to five hours of average TV a day, assuming that the average Christian is maybe watching some considerable portion of TV maybe says a lot about where the priorities are actually at, despite what we say. Yeah, that's a, um, that, that's a good question. You think of the two major Christian disciplines, I'll call them, in praying and in, in Bible reading, um, and, and seeing a lack there of it uh, in church and in commitment. Um, I'm actually writing some articles about that for TPM, where I'm going to argue that uh, Bible reading and prayer should be lifestyles and not disciplines, but uh, disclaimer on that. But... Um, yeah, it is a it is a massive problem when we look at the idea of Christ being supreme in all things. Um, I know Bethlehem Baptist Church has that up on their wall, just so that Christ may have supremacy in all things. When we look at that as the number one thing that we look for and do, it should develop what we do our priorities around. Um, I, had a, I had a question for you guys, um, just run through my head, a little vulnerability. W- what do you guys have a hard time committing to in your Christian walks? Sorry, uh, I, I realize that we're doing audio podcasts now, and dead air is, like, really bad. <laughs> so uh, I, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I can, I can go first. I've been talking a lot about my roommates about the idea of prayer um, and to bring that up as, as a big one. 
for me, I, I gave a sermon at my church uh, in December, and I was the challenge I gave was, can we have a 2019 drenched in prayer? Um, there's a great sermon by um, Charles Spurgeon, True Prayer, True Power. There's also a great sermon by Francis Chan about commitment to prayer. And that's one I find very difficult for myself if I don't follow the strategy of finding that secret place that's talked about, I think, in John, where it's like the Lord knows what you pray in secret. Uh, that idea, if I can't find that place to pray and seclude myself, um, I have a really hard time commi- committing to that one uh, as a lifestyle choice, as a, a thing that permeates everything I do um, in my walk. So that's a commitment problem that I, I see. Do you think you're spending more time talking about prayer and thinking about prayer than actually praying? Yeah, so qu- question from the uh, local audience here. Uh, from Zach Doman, do you think about and talk about prayer more than you actually pray? I think in the last three months, yeah, um, uh, except when a week when I was in Asia, that was a tough week a few weeks ago, I, I was on my knees a lot and I was on a plane a lot, so I was having to pray a ton, um, but that's a good convicting moment and I'm going to go think about that one for a while, about how much I think and talk about prayer and how much I don't pray then. <laughs> uh, dang it, Zach. I think in my own life, uh, prayer is one of those things that comes up also for someone like me who like thinks a lot about getting things done and you think that prayer is this in 2019 i feel like you know there's there's this shying away even from spiritual aspects of your faith in some ways and you're like i don't know if i'm actually accomplishing anything in prayer and yet the bible is so very clear that the opposite is true that you see interactions between moses and god and how um these interactions were significant to the fate of a whole nation um, just as one example of how powerful prayer can be. Um, and James 5 making it very clear that um, in the life of uh, Elijah that, you know, the prayer of a righteous man can have great power. Um, so when I think about that in my own life, it's a great rebuttal to that. And when I think of like not having time to pray, that that's a stat that came up to me recently is I think of a uh, pastor like John Piper talking about how TV is a wasted life. And so when I see this stat that like the average American is watching five hours of TV a day, it really gets me to think like, how much do I engage with screens in a way that prevents me from experiencing God? And then not experiencing him doesn't give me that passion, that joy in him. And then who's going to want to commit to something that you're not passionate or joyous about? I think that's the point of that relationship to experience God and allow the actions to flow from that faith, from that um, joy of knowing him. So my, so this is a good question, Michael. Uh, my answer is actually financial giving. So that's the part that I was talking about a little bit before. The reason that I have a hard time giving financially to the church is because I can't control what is done with that money. And I think this is good a theme point. that goes into other areas that I'm not good at committing to. And it, they, I think the common denominator is it's a lack of control. You know, I, I like to give my time. That's something that's natural to me. I like to volunteer because I can choose where I volunteer. I go into it knowing what I'm going to be doing for the most part. And so it's really easy for me to control and to feel on top of what I'm doing. When I Mm -hmm. tithe, you know, however many, however much money to the church, they're just taking it. And sure that I think churches are pretty good about being clear about what they use their money for. I think up, upstanding churches are and so 
you know, it, it, it is within my power to know how that money is being used, but there's just a disconnect there for me. And I think at the bottom of it is kind of the sin of not trusting the Lord with that money and, and wanting to control better what's going on with the things that I'm giving and committing to. Um, a big part of that, I think, is seen in Matthew 16, the verse that I come back to, that a lot of Christians come back to, is then Jesus said to his disciples, this is verses 24 and 25, he said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it's, it's, that's the, you know, a deep topic at the bottom of so many issues uh, when it comes to our faith and living it out. But I think for commitment, it's a really big one. It's saying what I want to do and what I know is not best. And I need to turn that over and faithfully commit myself to causes and to practices that I am just going to trust are good. Not blindly, not without doing due diligence, but it's a balance between faith and responsibility in that. So, so I think that, that leads to kind of the idea of different sins that might be at the bottom of the commitment issue. What do you guys think are other issues beyond just faithlessness and desire to exert total control over your life? What are some other areas where sin seeps into this issue? Yeah, it's a, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think we're, we're circling the wagons here up and um, we're seeing this idea of sin being the, at the root of, of the commitment problem. Um, this idea of selfishness or laziness. Oh, so sorry, what does circling the wagons mean? You're going to have to run <laughs> <by> me again. <laughs> I've never heard So, that. sorry, side, yeah, side story. Uh, two roommates and I, we all talk about um, business phrases that mm. are used that we have no idea what they mean. Uh, the big one was soup to nuts the uh, the other week. Of <laughs> when you when a businessman says, "Hey, this this topic is soup to nuts. It's it's everything. It means everything." So our roommate Brad, Brad and my roommate Bill brought home the the one. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna circle our wagons back on this one, and it meant coming back to the idea of 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 the point that you're you're encircling around the idea of that you're protecting that point. It's where the old Wild West where you used to circle the wagons if the wagon train ever got attacked. So circle the wagons means that we're gonna we're gonna we're coming around it and we're honing in on that main thing and we're getting to that main thing. So yeah, so we're getting to that main thing with commitment and that it's a sin issue. Uh, I, I see a, I see a lack of trust playing out here, Andre. I, I think we are are missing a fundamental aspect of the gospel. Mm. And I think, uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna what I'm gonna that? let Cody answer this first before oh. we go farther into that. Mm-hmm. But what do you think, Cody? I think one of the things that plays out strong. I mean, certainly control. Uh, you know, fear, trust. All these things are um, you know intricate, intricately related. Um, and I think one that really rears its head for me um, is totally intertwined with the rest of them is is jealousy because I think of things like legacy, like, and how, you know, really my life should be lived because of Christ's impact on me and making him known. But oftentimes it's very easy to get caught up in how will people remember Cody and how he lived out his faith Mm -hmm. and the focus being on me. And so I think for me, sometimes this jealousy really kicks in where it's like, sure, I can commit to that one thing that is maybe a really good idea for me right now. But is it going to lead to 
the best uses of the talents God has given to me? Or is it going to uh, be utilizing the leadership potential I see in myself or something to this effect of wanting to be recognized in the things that I'm good at and skilled at and, you know, maybe actually possessing some of those traits in, in certain areas and maybe not others, but being humble and honest to admit that this jealousy is not the point of the Christian walk. It's not this other thing that you can use to make your name known. In fact, the point of the Christian faith is making Christ known and, uh, putting him above yourself in your service and in your faith, uh, kind of being the point and for me it's easy to not commit to things when you might think that they're a hindrance to your legacy or your name yeah for sure um i see this andre play out the sin issue of um do we do we want to commit to christ in the same way he's committed to us because when you read through um the writer's throughout scripture, but when you look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, um, verses 7 and 8, these always get to me. Uh, Verse 7 of Philippians, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things in loss, uh, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then in in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The, in the life that which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And these ideas of, of Paul bringing that emphasis as a man who was uh, the, the worst of sinners, uh, murdering Christians, um, coming to this place of it's not about me anymore or my zeal to be a Pharisee, but it's about Christ only. Everything that I once lived was to die for Christ. So how can he say these things? How can we say these things? Um, and the question I have for me as I was looking at this and trying to write a few things down is, do we see the value in Christ that Paul saw? Do we see that surpassing beauty that he saw? And that leads to the second question of, do we trust the commitment that Christ made to us? And that's where I think the fundamental flaw, the gospel problem, because the gospel says Christ died for us when we didn't deserve it. He committed to us knowing that there may be nothing in return because we or had turned away, completely rejected him. So do we trust that commitment enough to go back to what Andre said in Matthew 16? Mm -hmm. Do we trust Christ enough to commit to the high calling of carrying that cross for him? Do we follow the the steps of the apostle Paul or not? I think there's a, a, there's a, there's a trust aspect. There's a fear of, uh, of risk when it comes to Christ. Uh, we're a risk adverse generation because our, our fear of commitment to things is because we um, have been burned so much by the economy or whatever you want to talk about there. But this idea of being risk adverse, uh, do we trust the, the money, the value, the riches of Christ to be greater than the risk? And that, that's what Christ slams down in, in Matthew 16 is can we carry that cross? Can you trust me enough? Yeah. And Jesus says that being perfect at committing. Like you said, you know, Jesus having risked it all for the sake of the people that he loves. So to look to him as a model of commitment, I think is really wise and is a really good thing to do for us as people who identify themselves as being as being fundamentally broken and sinful and in need and 
you know, antithetical to who Jesus was. And so, but as a result of his perfect commitment, we can say that we have turned a corner on that, that we, um, you know, experience new life in him. And so why shouldn't that new life be, be characterized by the commit, the type of commitment, commitment, the class of commitment that Jesus showed. And I think that's done in humility and, um, is done along the, along the way, putting to death sins like a desire to control and a failure to trust. And as Cody said, kind of the pride of wanting the best thing for yourself. Um, yeah. So, so then, okay. So turning the corner and talking about some applications and some relevant parts of what this means for us in today, what are some of the benefits to our communities and our churches, um, our, our, faith communities and in just in the world in general of being able to commit better and as we reject sin and accept commitment how are we going to see that come out in our lives i think um one of the tangible things that is uh supplementary to what michael was getting at and, and andre what you were talking about as well was um you know christ committed to us and this is in scripture presented as his church, the body. And it is very clear throughout the New Testament that um, Paul and the other writers really emphasize this uh, familial aspect of the body of Christ. Like this is just not a community of people who have come to place their faith in Jesus and have that in common, but refers to them as brothers and sisters, this immediate family context, like much in the same way that you might consider laying down your preferences and your needs for your immediate family. I think all of us can attest to that, that you feel this strong, not necessarily obligation, but pull towards helping out your family when you see them struggling or you see a benefit that you Mm -hmm. can bring to them much more so than distant friends or relatives that you rarely see and, and might not even know what's going on in their lives just like how Christ was intimately committed to us and it was for the joy set before him as Hebrews 12 said, he endured the cross. And so from our perspective, viewing this community of people who share faith in Christ to say, for the joy set before us of experiencing more of Christ in our own lives and being demonstrated to each other, we commit as dear brothers and sisters and not as distant uh, relatives or as acquaintances. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, you're able to fight. It's a, it's a team. It's a team effort. Um, and I think that's a, a core human desire is to feel loved and to feel accepted by a group. Um, and when you commit to something, I think you show an authenticity um, that is so rare in the culture today somebody who's authentic and honest and says, I want to do this thing. It's valuable to me. Come with me now. And that authenticity is just so contagious. You see that jump from person to person in in a healthy, vibrant group within the church. And this is something that we can be so real because Christ was so good. We can, we can be so sinful and vulnerable because we look at the love of Christ and what he did for us. And I think that that can allow for a feeling of acceptance and love that is so beautiful. And you can display that, that authenticity to others and get that community grab from saying, putting 
your foot down and say, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. I see it as valuable. Come with me. Absolutely. And you might have to let go of some things. You might have to say no to some things that you want to say yes to. And you might have to be okay with some uncertainty. Um, and it's not going to serve you, serve you completely all the time. When you commit to things that are good, you might be worried about it. And you might not always feel like you yourself are getting the most out of it. But that's not the point, as we've shown. Um, so, you know, I think continuing to look back to Jesus as an example of commitment um, is, is and, and having the attitude and the posture of killing sin as we move towards that is really helpful. And it's something that we're, at least I know, that I'm still working on. So, this has been the Theology of Plain Med podcast. We've been talking about commitment. Thank you, Cody and Michael. Uh, we will always welcome comments and feedback on what we talk about. Uh, and so you can do that on our website, theologyofplainmen.com. Thanks for being with us.